Welcome, welcome, welcome. Long time no talk. We're back on Barnes University Radio. One of two podcast shows that we're doing today. First, we're going to talk about my 2019 draft process. Um, you know, for those that are subscribed, those that listen to me consistently, you know that I am a talent evaluator. Um, for the past 10 years, I've been dedicated to trying to find ways to help one team, the Tennessee Titans, win a championship. Over that 10-year time frame, I've been able to put together some pretty good drafts and you know and you know you got a couple in there that's not so good in 2019 was a year um, when the actual players that I selected for the Tennessee Titans and one year or we're about to get you know we're about to be two years in and you know a few of those guys have panned out probably one of my lowest rated drafts in years past and for young evaluators coming in and also a a verbal and a reminder for myself you know that is documented and recorded on the podcast is some of those things that I went through during that time frame of just challenging myself and uh, expanding myself and just trying to become the best talent evaluator that I possibly can be so throughout this phase let me just give you a backstory of who's the team um, the nature of the team that I'm covering for and trying to you know you know, fill in holes, fix holes, put the puzzle piece together to get what would have been, I guess, the 2018 Titans over the hump for the 2019 season. Um, So 2018, uh, for for a year that I roughly remember of the Tennessee Titans, I think barely missing the playoff. Was that the year we barely missed the playoffs? Forgive me if I cannot remember because, for one, the Tennessee Titans have had four straight um, nine and seven seasons, if I'm not mistaken on that number. It's very unprecedented uh, how consistently one game above average they've been past the, the past four years. Now, last year, obviously, they, they went on the run to get to the AFC Championship. But before that, I'm pretty sure they didn't make the playoffs. Um, or maybe I, I just don't know. So. My whole point is we needed uh, defensive linemen. We needed wide receiver talent. You know, we could have done a we could have gotten a good backup running back, but we needed interior offensive line help. Um, we needed some defensive backs, and uh, you know, some some quality special teamers wouldn't have hurt either. So during this process, you know, the the personal accolades in my life. I'm I, you know I'm a first time dad. Um, you know, I'm growing in my business outside of football um, and I choose to um, and professionally, I mean, e- I mean, professionally in the scouting world or in the talent evaluation world, um, you know, I'm getting on radio shows, ESPN Radio Nashville, you know, I'm writing these 10,000 word, you know, reports for the Tennessee Titans, that, you know, what they could do. And that was a year where they followed a lot of what I did. And I had a lot going on um, and I decided, OK, let's push it a little bit further. As much as I have going on, let's push it a little bit further uh, because I went from, I think, 4000 words to 10000 words. And then this past year I went I was like 14000 words. So, you know, th- this coming up year might be 20000 words. But back to the, the the main point is one of the biggest things I learned about myself was database 
over the past 10 years, I have to give a tremendous amount of credit towards the database, the scouting database companies out there that find these players, not necessarily grade them for me or give me, you know, any type of push here or there, whether they'll be good or not. But overall, these scouting databases, what they do is they just give you the names. And sometimes now now they're starting to attach video and tape to it and then, you know, tidbits and and background information. But other than that, back in the day, you just know the name. You do the tape study. You find out about the the uh, the players, the, the behind the scenes stuff. Now these databases are providing tape and they're giving you background checks and it makes it easier in terms of the trivial things but you still have to find out the talent. So this year 2019, I got the bright idea that I wanted to expand my database. So instead of like I'll scout every year at each position, I'll I'll scout a solid 15 to 20, you know, and maybe go to 25 at each position. Just trying to find the guys that I resonate with, you know, scouting Scouting can be hard. It, it can be tedious, but drafting is easy because once other player, other teams select the players, your guys start to come to you. If you build your board right, those guys will start to come to you. And, you know, that's another thing I learned about building a board better. Um, so back to the database. I, instead of doing 20, 25, I did 50, maybe even 60 guys. I, I would say 50, 45 to 50 guys. At each position, roughly, and I just, you know, I was grinding tape, you know, got to 30, got to 35, got to 40, some, you know, and it's like, you know, the whole process, I'm watching tape all the way up until draft time. You know, I'm watching tape to draft time, and I'm not even, th- the night before the draft, I'm not even thinking about like a game plan, I'm not thinking about refining my boards, I'm just still, you know, rot- watching tape, I think my, the back end of of the position groups that I w- was watching were safety. Yeah, I think it was safety. I was watching the safeties. I was watching the cornerbacks, just 30 of them, 40 of them, 45 of them, and just going through names that are at colleges, probably don't have a shot at any of playing professional football or want to. Um, so I'm watching a lot of tape. Draft comes around. Draft day comes around. I'm now going live before every pick to show, you know, my uh, quote unquote accountability that nobody cares about. Um, But it's important to me because I think it's all practice for me. It's not me trying to have this big bravado or I've arrived or anything like that. It's all practice. I know why God is putting this in my heart to do to carry out. It's practice. It's refining my skills. So I go live. I'm with my daughter. And, you know, I I was with a significant other, have a significant other that uh, at the time uh, and she's with me now. But at the time, she, you know, is a quality time type of person. So I rarely even get to get away. But with that, with that being said, I had my daughter, had my girl and, you know, and I'm trying to think, okay, where should we go here? I'm not I know that we need defensive Lineman or wide receiver. That's where I'm going. And it's funny because in my head, I thought A.J. Brown was worth that 19 pick, which this is where not thinking something through comes into play. I thought A.J. Brown was good enough to be a first round wide receiver. This, listen to how my brain was working the, during the draft season. And this was when the draft was in Nashville. 
I thought A.J. Brown was good enough to be a first-round wide receiver, but I chose my defensive, my third-ranked defensive tackle, Jerry Tillery. I personally didn't have enough information on Jeffrey Simmons to take him at 19. The Titans obviously did. Now, I already knew that he tore his ACL. For me, that's a red flag because the way that, like, obviously freak injuries can happen, but the way that he's built ACL tears don't happen that often. So that means that he more than likely did it to himself. Like as far as ground force power, that tells you two things that he's a very powerful person and that the possibility for re-injury is high and non-contact high. Like nobody has to fall into Jerry. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons knee for him to tear something. He can do it based off of his ground force power trying to move somewhere. That was somewhat of a turnoff, but when I watched tape, him and Quentin Williams were pretty much tied, and I felt pretty good at having a pass-rushing, long type of defensive tackle in Jerry Tillery. I don't necessarily regret that move in the first round with Jerry Tillery. I really don't because I think in the second year, first year I was looking, I was like, dude, this is a horrible draft. But this year he's coming along. He's you know he's he's becoming a premier interior uh, pass rushing defensive lineman that is working on his run defense. But at the same time he wins one on one his blocks. A lot of times he's doubled. Uh, first year, by the way, the Chargers did not use him the way that they're using him now. He's more so in an in, in, in a true interior offensive. I mean defensive lineman as opposed to being an outside. Or, or on the edge. I think he's, he excels battling those centers, battling those guards. Now, second round. Remember, I said that I thought in my brain that A.J. Brown was probably of the top five to seven of my wide receivers. I thought that he was the one that is checks a lot of boxes and is a safe first-round pick. So I'm in the second round, and I'm about to write down A.J. Brown, and I'm like... <laughs> you know, so many other people's opinions and thoughts of A.J. Brown came to my mind. And I was like, I'm just going to go with this other guy to have variance to that statement. And it's the worst thing that I could have possibly done. And it doesn't matter if this player, which is J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Arcega-Whiteside, it doesn't matter if this player starts to come and become one of the best in the league I still should have went with my first mind, which was A.J. Brown. I have it I have it four or two, two to three months before. I have him as a first-round graded A.J. Brown documented on paper. And based off of that, I mean, between him and D.K. Metcalf, those were the two wide receivers you should have taken. Uh, you can throw in Debo Samuels into that mix as well as the top three wide receivers you should have taken uh, from that class. Thus far, now anything can happen, but you know, I was, I, I was, dude, like AJ Brown was popping up everywhere before the draft for me. You know what I mean? So it was like, come on, you gotta make a play. But I went and was basically, basically, I feel like that pick was a contrarian pick. I did have some type of schematic decision towards taking JJ Ortega outside, and that was because. I had a vision for the Titans offense being more precise, precision, um, as opposed to being like slow and not slow, but more physical. Because I felt like in one of these games, the Tennessee Titans still to this date in one of these games, the Tennessee Titans are going to have to run 
a more clean, concise offense that has to deal with precision more than it has to deal with physicality. And, you know, the Tennessee Titans, they could, and this is all predicated off of injury, and we're not hoping injury. We just know that injury is a, a, a ever existing thing in the, in the NFL and in life, for that matter. So, you know, right now the Tennessee Titans, as is, and we'll get to this in the second podcast, is they, they're predicated on the, the, the three-headed monster, Tannehill, Henry, and A.J. Brown. One of those guys goes down, it changes the dynamic of how they get stuff done. So, in, in, one, in, in one way, the ten, by the way, I would have drafted DJ Moore the draft before, so therefore I would have had my yak ability right receiver already for Barnes University, or, or my, in the Barnes universe of, with the Titans. So, that, that pick is still one that stings because it's not like I, like every player that the Titans took, it's not like I said, oh, he's going to be bad, and then, it, it makes me feel like, oh, I blew that evaluation. I didn't blow the evaluation. I blew the pick. And that's very uncharacteristic of me. And it's teaching me. It's also teaching young evaluators that if you're out there and you're making these selections, make sure you go with your gut, your first mind, you know, and, and, and have confidence in the selection. I went with J.J. Ortega Whiteside off of a off of a conditional projection. And to be a contrarian, to be completely honest, um, because I wanted to vary and have something to combat other people's thoughts on A.J. Brown. Whereas A.J. Brown, was he a my guy prospect? No, I wouldn't say he was a my guy, but I felt like when I watched tape, this guy can be something. You know, I was like, okay, if he if he if he plays around 228, 230. And then he keeps gaining weight, then I'm out, of course, because he's going to eventually get slower and that's going to cause injury. But if we can get this guy to 220 ish, 220-ish, closer to 220 than 230, then that's 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 freakish. And that's what the Titans have done. He looks like he's actually like he wasn't done growing. That's what's the freaky, freaky part about it. Like, I think he was 20, he turned 22 this year. So the kid is only 22. He's not finished growing and sometimes I forget about that you know another thing to remind myself about prospects I forget that these are kids still growing into their bodies and this guy still has room to grow and it's just a freakish projection <laughs> it really is it's a, it's a pretty good uh projection by J-Rob but um third round third round I think I took DeAndre Walker on tape, I just saw a guy that was incredibly strong at the point of attack. I thought that he had better pass rush skills than people gave him credit for. He is a bit of a tweener as far as size. Tennessee Titans took Nate Davis, a guy who was up and down in his first season. He's coming into his own. Some people uh, think he's a Pro Bowl level offensive guard, in my opinion. Because of the, the sense of urgency, I felt like I went somewhere where I thought I could get some depth. And it, even 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 still, the players that um that I wanted in that uh in that range was their their names are um fleeting right now, but it was a guard for the Dolphins who's been up and down so far in his career. And then it was a guard slash tackle, used to play for Oklahoma, I believe opposite of uh Cody Ford who plays for the Rams now I'm not sure how much playing time is he's getting but in limited time last year he played very well so that was a 
like all of these picks that they the Titans did, I was not opposed to any of them. I was like, this that's a pretty solid pick, but it's just not where I went with that because I thought Nate Davis was a few years away. It's expedited. It it happened in the second year. That's that's intel knowledge. That's another thing, guys. The insider knowledge when you think like there is some credence and you should have confidence in what you can do without going to the combine without going to senior bowl without getting in the face of these prospects without interviewing them without knowing backgrounds without um studying and knowing like the insides of a personnel like how good a how good of an offensive line coach is he really how do we teach this how would that connect with the actual player those details now i fought it for 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 years those matter like I go even go back to AJ Brown. Like I went to the training camps for the Titans and I saw the guy in person and it's kind of weird. You know, we we as scouts, you know, young in the talent evaluator things. We Our job is not to travel to every school and to do that. And even, you know, we can if you schedule it within your life to go to these all star games. Yes. But seeing AJ Brown in person and watching him on tape is different. As opposed to if, you know, I did go to the combine that year as well, but obviously I'm not on the field. I can't see the the true the true specs of these players, you know. And because of that, basically, long story short, do not do not downplay the importance of seeing a player in person. Because if I would saw AJ Brown in person, I'm like, this guy looks. This guy not only plays legit, looks legit. And obviously an interview or two, if you were able to get in and sit in on that, you know, could really drive things home. There were so many check marks. This guy worked out with Jerry Rice, whether it was a legitimate and intimate and real relationship that they formed. Just the the fact that he took that opportunity, says something. Just the fact that, you know, he is open to to learning and one of his favorite receivers is a actually a receiver that has his play style a lot of times players that tell you that they have a certain favorite player like for instance love Marcus Mariota you know and you know as a person and he was a decent player you know there's some things he still has to work on as a pro and we know that but you know his favorite players to watch was Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers isn't his game he's not a he his skill set is not that of Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion. Well, who he should have been watching is quarterbacks that have better mechanics because what Aaron Rodgers does is because he can do it. He can throw off platform, off his back foot, side armed and stuff like that. Mariota is not that type of player. He should have been watching a player that had a, a, a quick release with a nice, compact delivery, right? The the prototypical. And I will say this, I think that a good quarterback for Mariota to watch, and a lot of people may say stylistically they're different, but I think that two, let's, I'll say two, two quarterbacks that Marcus Mariota should have been watching was Peyton Manning, one, and then the next player should have been Russell Wilson. And the reason why I say those two players was because Russell Wilson is 2-3, plays ahead he takes care of his body for one he's always sliding or running out of bounds he's not trying to run through people right he's smart in that sense 
Um, he's always has his eyes downfield as well, trying to make a play before he scrambles or something like that. And then with Peyton Manning, this is what I learned from Peyton Manning after years of him kicking Titans butt for years. I had to come to respect him. I was like, let me not hate this man and try to learn something from him. And one thing I learned was even with me, like if I'm studying quarterbacks or just even me throwing the ball in the backyard with my friends or family, whatever, is the pace that Peyton Manning played. Like it's more than just hiking the ball, stepping back lackadaisically or even, you know, processing, but connecting your feet with your arm, with your mind, like you watch Peyton Manning highlights. This guy hikes the ball and it's almost like he's it's immediate. It's it's it's, it's a sense of urgency that not many quarterbacks play with. And you can see he's bouncing in the pocket. And because of that, it's somehow body kin- kinesiology, whatever you want to call it. It connects with the mind. It connects connects with your release. It, it, it's a different type of thing. And then you want to talk about mechanics, you know, offhand. Left hand, elbow, tight to the body, nice torque to his football. You know, he didn't throw spirals all the time, but, you know, whatever. I got off on a tangent. Fourth round, let's get back to the subject. Fourth round went to Travion Williams, uh, backup running back, who's actually RB4 in Cincinnati right now. And the Tennessee Titans selected, I think that was the Amani Hooker pick, if I'm not mistaken. If I'm not mistaken, that's a Amani Hooker pick. And, you know, just based off those two things, Imani Hooker was very high on my board as well. And, in fact, I was very close to, 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 to drafting him as well. Um, then we go down to Dennis Daly. And I think with that pick, the Titans selected. Who did they take in that fifth round? Was that already the David Long pick? Well, anyway, their last picks was David Long and... Uh, who did they pick? I can't remember. David Long, and then I knew that I picked a returner in Cavante Turpin, who I was very close to drafting Deontay Harris instead, but I went with Turpin because of more big, big school play and the mentality that Cavante Turpin played with more fearless. Like, I had more information on Turpin than I did Deontay Harris. That's why I pulled the trigger on Turpin. But... It is what it is. I mean, I feel like if Turpin was in Deontay Harris's situation, got a little bigger, he could have had a very similar impact, to be honest. But that didn't work out. Um, but we, then you got to look at a situation with the Titans, David Long, and a player that I cannot even think of. That's how my day is going, that they selected as well. Um, oh, DeAndre Walker. That's why I couldn't think of him because I've already said him. So they took DeAndre Walker and they took David Long. And, um, you know, DeAndre Walker was a player that we shared. And that's the one player that didn't pan out for J-Rob that year. So um, there that goes. Um, <laughs> that's how my 2019 draft went. The one player that J-Rob didn't pan out for him is the player that we shared. But every other player, like I said, Imani Hooker, um, I like David Long as well. I mean, he was on my board. With, I mean, Senior Bowl, when I watched him during the Senior Bowl, I was like, this guy's a heat-seeking missile. And uh, it was just an excellent draft by J-Rob, and that, that's going to be the second podcast. And we're going to get to to what we should do um, as fans and as spectators and as cr- cr- 
critics about that draft and about J-Rob in general. But overall, Young Evaluators 2019 was a, is a learning lesson for me that um, I'll never forget. It's taught me a lot about how I operate. And it's taught me a lot about, you know, making better decisions. I think out of all those positions, it was like literally my board was telling me exactly what the Titans did. But I went in a different route just to have some type of variance. And that one wasn't to be contrarian. Like the Travion pick, the DeAndre Walker pick, the, um, you know, the Cavante Turpin pick. It wasn't to be contrarian. It was like literally the the type of information that is needed to to kind of you know to to have a very all around and concise draft evaluation. I would have had to interview some of these players, got to know them a lot better, seen them in person, um, as well as to not venture too far from the path of who I am because. Travion Williams, although good tape, wasn't like the, excuse me, wasn't the usual running back that I take in my drafts. He wasn't necessarily a dynamic guy. He was like a Bishop Sankey um, type of guy, as opposed to what I'm usually accustomed to is I get more all-around guys. Now, obviously, I thought he was going to be better than Bishop Sankey, but I like he's more of a compact guy, catch out of the backfield, third down type of guy that can, you know, give you a little spark on your offense and that's totally not my ideology I got away from my ideology due to due to variance too much variance that and it came down to variance whether it was my lifestyle so much variance a lot of a lot going on then it was my database where I had 40 more prospects to watch in each position which was crazy and then that year I had interviews going on. I was doing side shows. I was a lot going on. And because of that, it affected my draft. And there's no excuses, but I'm it's a blessing in disguise because yes, I look back on those things. I'm like, God, what was I doing? But at the same time, in the future, that didn't happen. So the best story of it all is fast forward to 2020, none of that occurred. I simplified my life. I'm now a second year dad. Um, I'm, I'm getting the hangs of being a father in time management a little bit better. Still, still a long way to go there. And, you know, I had a more concise and organized draft. And, you know, and I'm, you know, just like I admitted my, my wrongdoings, I did very well. First round, Jeff Gladney, cornerback, one of the, the highest rated cornerbacks in the league in run defense. Then I drafted Antonio Gibson one of the best running backs in the league and definitely a top rookie running back in the league, top 10 PFF rankings. And then I and then I took a guard who is a reserve guard on the Raiders right now who I think has a bright future. He should have a similar projection as a Nate Davis type. And then I went with a quarterback in Steven Montez who is a practice squad quarterback for the Washington football team who I think has a bright future as well. And then I went with wide receiver Kaliza Lipscomb, who is a free agent right now, but he should be on the roster very soon. And then Josiah Coteney, who is also a free agent, who should be on the roster soon as well. Like, one would say, okay, you're batting at 500 or you're batting at 20 or 40%. The fact of the matter is these are good players. And then if you comp it to who I'm confident with, and it's not really a comp, comp, 
com- comparison, but it's what happens. It's basically what I would do for the Titans. That's really what it is. Titans selected, you know, Isaiah Wilson, first round. He's first, got his first snap in week 12 last week. Um, second round, Christian Fulton. He's been hurt. Played okay when he's been in. Um, and third round was Darrington Evans. Been hurt most of the year. Showed flashes when he's in. Has a good speed. Um, and then, let me see, the last three that they picked was Cole McDonald, Laurel Murchison, and then Chris Jackson. Chris Jackson is probably one of the worst-rated cornerbacks in the league, PFF. Feisty guy. Um, Cole McDonald was cut before the season started, and Laurel Murchison has played snaps on and off and is, you know, up and down play. So, it just based off of what I would have done in that, I, I, take, I take an early um, good sign of my assessment with, pri- with, with, yes, with pride, but also with humility because I did have a, a very difficult 2019 in terms of selecting. Now, in terms of who they selected, I knew he crushed the draft. I was like, he had one of the best drafts of Tennessee Titans history. You know, in the board that year, 2019, the board came perfectly for the Titans. Like everything lined up perfectly. It was like do do do, boom. And whoever that guy was, and I'm not, I'm not sure how their board is formulated, but the the way that I'm starting to formulate my boards, those guys, they jump out at you when you got to when you when your board is working very well. Those guys start jumping out at you, especially when you form it the right way. Boom, Amani Hooker, boom, you know, Nate Davis, boom, you know, these guys poke out at you, David Long, boom, these guys poke out at you, and and, and you got to take them, so with that being said, young evaluators, always, always keep it light, keep it fun, learn from your mistakes, and uh, I will see you on the next one, uh, it's a Barnes University thing, God bless.